0: If you have a copy of God's Word this morning, let's open up to the book of Philippians, chapter 1. We're marching right through this wonderful epistle uh, penned under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by the Apostle Paul. Philippians, chapter 1. Today, we're going to talk about the joy of eternal life. The joy, (coughs) excuse me eternal life you know we really cannot comprehend eternity I can remember as a child <clears throat> probably pre-adolescent maybe even around right around 13 somewhere in there but just having a I had a season of my life literally where I could not sleep at night because I was trying to fathom the fact that God has always existed like forever back. Because like, we, we talk in terms of linear chronology, right? Sequential chronology. That's how we experience life. We're born. We live. We get a year older. We go through the week. We mark, mark the calendars and, and, you know, we die. And, and that's kind of how we, we experience life. But think about it. God is, by definition, eternal. From everlasting to everlasting. God is from everlasting to everlasting. It means he has always what? Existed. And that he always will. Like forever. Like y'all understand what I'm saying? There's no end to that. And you sit up at night, at least I did, and I tried to think about that and it would really, it would really begin to, I don't want to say disturb me. And I'm not saying that it was like... um, not necessarily like fascinating in that sense but it was it was so perplexing to my mind my my mortal mind just trying to comprehend that that it literally kept me up at night I could not sleep um, there is a there is something there's some some comfort I'll put it to you this way we find some comfort in the brevity of life I know that sounds weird but we find some comfort in kind of like we, we, we define our whole world around these beginnings and ends, right? And, and that's the way that life is supposed to be. But when you really think about it from the terms of God's viewpoint, there really is no beginning and there is no what. Now I want you to take it a step further. He created us, gave us life, provided a way for us to experience through Christ To receive the gift of what? Eternal life. Which means that those of us who are in Christ. Will experience life. Forever. That means that you and I today in Christ Jesus. We too. Have no. End. Think about that for a second. And then you can begin to go down the whole rabbit trail. And What are we going to be doing for all this time? Like. When we finally just run out of things to do. No. Because God is so infinitely incomprehensible and so infinitely glorious and so infinitely majestic and supreme and intricate and complex and dynamic and in every sense of the word, He is just, He is more than our little mortal minds can even begin to imagine. And there is no end. His, his ways are unsearchable. Right? Like, even, even, even in, in eternity, we will still never get to the end of God. This is an impossibility. So we'll get to explore and dis- have new discussions every single moment of this time that we, again, just even talking about it, it's, it's going to be beyond time. I don't even know how to explain it, right? This is the, the unsearchable riches of Christ Jesus. Now, think about that for a second, and then think about the fact that a, a little child The gospel, as unsearchable as God is, as as infinitely transcendent as he is in being in essence and nature and all those things that we could try to think about and ponder our whole life and never get to the depths of his glory. But at the very same time, a little bitty child can hear the good news that Jesus loves them, died on the cross for their sins. Raised from the dead on the third day and gives them the free gift of what eternal life and that little child can receive it by faith and it's not too complex. It's simple enough for even a what? a child to understand. That's our God. Amen. And today I, I, I'm going to do my best. I, I could. I literally probably you know I had to, I had to start making some determinations and and figure out you know. How am I going to work through the book of Philippians? And you know, you, you can't just you can't preach it all, and you, you guys know that. And I struggled with that even through the book of Revelation. We spent a year in the book of Revelation, and, and could have gone so much deeper. and And so, I look at this passage of scripture today. You could, you could, we literally could spend months right here in the last part of, of the book of Philippians, chapter one. It's just there's so much in it. So I'm, I'm going to try to do my best to to really focus in on this idea of the joy of eternal life as given to us right here by the Apostle Paul in Philippians 1 and hopefully hopefully, get our our perspectives reoriented back to God and who we are in Christ in that. So if you have a copy of God's Word, I'm going to jump off into uh, verse 18. It's really the Second part of verse 18, you may see it there in your Bible. It says, yes, and I will rejoice. So Philippians 1, verse 18, yes, Paul says, and I will rejoice. Again, the theme of the book of Philippians is this unspeakable joy that we've been talking about. Now, verse 19, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus, of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Again, Paul's in prison He's writing to the church at Philippi. He loves his brothers and sisters at Philippi. He's very personally connected and invested to his uh, church family in Philippi. And he's hoping that he's going to get a chance to see them again. Not 100% certain, but right here in this letter, Paul seems to believe that the Lord, the Spirit, has given him some confidence that he's going to get out of this present predicament and he's going to be able to see his, his church family in Philippi again. So that's what he's talking about here. This will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. But that with full courage, now as always, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So Paul is saying, I feel pretty confident that I'm going to be delivered from this particular predicament, that this isn't the end yet. But then he goes on a step further saying, but just so happens if this is the end, I don't want to be ashamed of my Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel. In other words, if I have to face death, which eventually Paul did, we know this, That even if I have to face death, that very moment where it comes down to the the reality that my life on this earth is over and that my days in this world are numbered. He's saying, I do not want to end this life ashamed, but confidently witnessing to the Lord Jesus Christ, of the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel all the way to the very what? To the very end. As he had done to this point. So he's he's okay. He, He has resolved in his heart that it's going to be okay. Either way, right? And then here's our verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Amazing. If I am to live in the flesh... That means fruitful labor for me. Let's get to work. Yet which shall which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. Listen to him. My desire is to, to depart and be with Christ. Listen. Which is far what? Far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Paul understands this. And then he says, verse verse 25, Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So Paul is convinced that this isn't the end yet. But he's probably like some of you out there today. You know what? If this is the last day, if this is the end, I'm okay with that. Can you say that? And honestly everybody else in the world apart from Christ without Christ they're doing everything they possibly can to hold on to this life everything that they can to beat death to cheat to cheat the grave to live another day longer trying to ignore the inevitable Push it on down the road as far as you possibly can. Push it on out of sight. As believers, we shouldn't live like that. We should be like Paul. And we can say, I know if I were to die today, it's far better than to stay here. You got any loved ones in glory right now? far better. They wouldn't come back if if you asked them. But if I am going to stay and if you and I are going to be here today and tomorrow and the days ahead then we got some work to do. There's a reason. There's a purpose. That's what Paul's getting at right here and that's really what I want to share with you today. So I got three simple points and the first one is just kind of It's really kind of getting at the big picture of this whole passage. And and if you got your your listening guide, if you want to fill in your blanks and do those things, I I have it uh, for you right here. But the first point I want to share with you is that Jesus, he came to redeem, listen to me, all of creation. And he came to redeem the whole person. And that's important. And I'm going to share with you in a minute why that's important, both physically and spiritually. And so that means that Jesus, and Jesus alone, is He's the source of life, He's the purpose of life, and He's the pursuit of life. Okay? And we're going to talk about those three things real briefly in just a second. But let's talk about this idea that that Jesus came to redeem the whole person. Part of this goes back to what does it really mean to just to be human? When God created Adam, he took us, he took Adam, he formed him out of the what? Out of the earth. He formed him out of the ground, the elements of the dirt. He he fashioned him in his own image. When Adam was looking at Jesus, who is the creator, I believe Jesus was forming Adam out of the ground, he stood him up, he breathed spiritual life into him, and when Adam stood up for the very first time, really, Born the son of God, Adam created directly by God. He's called the son of God. He didn't have a human father, human mother, direct creation of God. Adam stood up. He was looking at Jesus as a a beautiful, almost a perfect image reflection of himself. And you got in the Genesis account, this beautiful picture that that first God created Adam's physical nature, right? Out of the, the physical, material elements of the earth. But there is one thing lacking. He needed breath. And so then he gave him his what? His spirit. He breathed life, spiritual life into Adam. Amen. And that moment that Adam was created, he was created in the image of God. We are now sons and daughters of Adam. We bear his image, which means we also bear the image of God. And by nature, we are—we are not just physical beings, and we know this. But we are spiritual beings. So there's this, this dual nature that we have in man. And you know what? Anytime you ever go to a funeral and a viewing, that's the—that's the probably the most stark and obvious object lesson that we are dual in nature. Because when you see a loved one in and, and the their body is there, and you go to a viewing, and you look at their physical body that's there, there's something what? Something has is missing. Something has departed, separated from that body. And of course, we know what that is. That's the spiritual nature of man. That's our soul, spirit, whatever you want to call it. I'm not going to get into all the details about you know mind body soul spirit you know the the nature of man all that kind of stuff but i just basically to keep it simple we're dual in nature and so what happened at the garden we know that as adam was cast out of the garden because of his sin he was cut off from the tree of life and when that happened something changed in adam's nature see he had to have that tree that sustenance the lord jesus he had to have that that fellowship with God to remain immortal, to continue to live how long? Forever, which he was created to do. But the minute he was cut off from that source and that sustenance of life, something happened in Adam's nature where he slowly began to degenerate. And even though it took him about 900 years, y'all know Adam lived a long time. But eventually, one of the saddest verses in all of Scripture in Genesis is that and Adam died. He died. So there was this, this spiritual change that took place in Adam when he was kind of cut off in broken relationship with God, which we're born into this condition that we have this, this spiritual alienation or this broken fellowship with God simply by nature being sons of Adam, but then also eventually, physically, he what? He also died. So he, he died spiritually speaking, and he also died physically. What Jesus is trying to communicate, what Paul's trying to communicate to us here, guys, when we start talking about life and life in general, is that what Jesus came to do was that, yes, he came to forgive us of our sins. Yes, he came to, to give us spiritual life. Yes, when we trust in Jesus, we're born again. That means that the Holy Spirit, the, the, the Spirit of God, he comes to dwell in us. He becomes united with us. And for the first time in our lives, we're spiritually alive I want you to think about that there are millions of people walking the face of the planet today that are not spiritually alive they're spiritually what physically alive but spiritually dead but if that was all that Jesus came to do it would not have been sufficient you may live in a relationship with Christ and experience life with him and know that you are spiritually alive and know that you are in spirit going to remember absence from the body present with the Lord you're going to go be with the Lord when we die we have the promise and the hope of being in his presence upon death from this earth but there's a big problem still looming out there and that's our what that's our bodies don't forget about our bodies. See, because God created us both what? Physical and spiritual. Jesus had to come to redeem both of them. And I've said this before, and it's something to really think about, but those spirits who are in heaven today, our, loved, our departed loved ones, the patriarchs, the saints of old, who all have died, and their bodies and the, the DNA of their body is still somewhere on the earth, decomposed in the ground their spirits are in heaven but there is something incomplete in their nature did you know that i always used to think you know once we go to heaven it's just it's 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 like i mean i'm sure it's amazing i can't imagine what they're seeing and experiencing and they're not in pain we know all of these things but guys they're still waiting the same day that we're waiting And that's a special day when Jesus, what, returns and he does something supernatural. He's going to raise up our body. Our physical bodies are going to be resurrected. That hasn't happened yet. And so we've got to really begin to dig into understanding who Jesus is and what he's done. And then we look at this passage of Scripture like this and we say, okay, Jesus is The creator, he is our redeemer, he is the source of life, he is the purpose of life, and he is the pursuit of life. And let's just kind of talk about those things real quick as we think about who Jesus is. So he says, to live is Christ. Now Paul's a believer. Those of you in this room who are believers, we understand what this means, is that as long as we live, we live for Christ. We live in Christ. We live through Christ. We live with Christ. Y'all see what I'm saying? So to live, life itself is of Christ. So we, we understand what that means. It means to have life is to have who? Is to have Jesus Christ. John 1 4 says, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Jesus, the word who became flesh, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. But not only is to live as to live Christ, but also to experience life, true life, is Christ. So that goes back to our purpose in life. I don't know what Brother John and them were, were thinking when they coined our mission statement at Christ Church, but they, they were onto something. Does anybody know what it is? We exist to know Christ. And to make him known. I I think that's a great mission statement. What better purpose in life do we have than to know our maker, to know our Lord and Savior? Now, when I say no, understand what I mean, guys. I'm not talking about you know about Jesus. A lot of people know about him. I'm talking about do you what? Do you know him? Let me say it another way. Does he really know you? There's a difference. That is, the, that is the very purpose of all life is for us to know Jesus Christ through a personal relationship. I'm so thankful for people like my parents. I know my wife has spoken about her parents and the spiritual heritage that they gave her. And the one thing that they always stressed in her, no matter what church they were part of or you know religious gatherings they went to, they always stressed that the most important thing is to have a personal what. Relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what Christianity is, guys. It's not, it's not a religion in that sense, in the sense of uh, men trying to, to achieve something that, you know, achieve God's favor or to achieve eternal life or to, you know, uh, merit or earn something. No, it's all about what? That relationship. That connecting, that, that time with God, knowing He's a real person, that he's, He is everything to us. And, and I, I say this because we take this for granted, but any good relationship, what is it? what, what is fundamentally part of every good relationship? you got to have some communication, right? Anybody ever give you the cold shoulder? How's your relationship? When somebody's giving you the cold shoulder and they won't talk to you. A good relationship is when you're openly and freely what? Communicating. Are you communicating with Jesus? you talking to him? Are you listening to him? Relationship is predicated upon time. That when you really love somebody, you want to spend what? Time with them. Preferably undivided time, undistracted time, quality time. Are you spending time with Jesus? Are you making time for him? And then, of course, we know every good relationship is, is, is based in our love. Our love for one another. That's what the purpose of life is, is to know Jesus Christ and then and then just really to to pursue him. And I, I say it this way, because to, to pursue Jesus, guys, it's like it's like chasing breath. It's like Jesus is the spiritual oxygen of our soul. And if we really, really are wanting to live and, and we, we, we understand we need him like we need breath itself. How many of you ever had a a, a big brother or maybe a big sister that would torture you like I did and would wrap me up in the covers and hold me down and I'm already claustrophobic and you couldn't what? Breathe. And you would do anything at that moment just to get what? Just to get a breath. And then go beat up your brother, right? But you got to get a breath first, and then you got to go fight him and find something to throw at him or whatever. But y'all understand what I'm saying? It's like having that, one of my favorite bands of all time is called Need to Breathe. And they they base their whole band name on that whole idea that that we need God like we need breath itself. And that's what it means to chase God, to pursue him. It's like we're chasing oxygen. We need to breathe more than anything else in this life, and that's what we need. We need who? We need Jesus. Because he is life. He is the source. He is the purpose. He's the the pursuit of life. Colossians, Paul says, all things were created through him and for him. Let me say that again. Jesus created all things. All things were created through him and what? So you were created for, for Jesus. relationship with him listen to what Jesus himself said he says father the hour has come glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him Jesus speaking of himself you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him and this is eternal life That ought to perk your ears up for just a second. Wait a minute. Jesus is about to tell us what eternal life is. He said, This is eternal life. You ready? That you may, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. What's eternal life? That we know him, that he knows us, that we are in a personal relationship with him and then finally to to live as Christ means that we will inherit life one day so there's a past component to this there's a present component to this and there's a what a future component to this and of course I've already kind of spoken about this but what we're talking about is the resurrection guys the resurrection of the dead is the culmination of all of God's ultimate work of redemption Let us not forget that that is the last phase of salvation. He saves us spiritually. He sanctifies us. He renews our mind. He begins to make us into his image. Yes, that's part of our process of being here on this life. But we're not completely saved and ultimately saved until these mortal bodies are raised back up out of the ground when Jesus comes back in power and great glory and we receive resurrected bodies that we begin to have bodies like his. Glorified bodies. Immortal bodies. So that he has redeemed the whole person, both physically and spiritually. And he's brought us back together in a state, in a condition. Listen, that was like our first father. Adam. That's what the gospel is. Is that through Jesus Christ, he is redeeming us. He is reconciling us to God and he's restoring us to what we lost when Adam was cast out of the garden so that we can have that fellowship with God once again and be in his presence and live forever. So people can go looking for life and try to find medicines and try to find uh, philosophies and try to find uh, diet plans and exercise and products and Uh, Now they're going into all this genetic engineering and all this, you know, we've talked about transhumanism. We've talked about all these things that man is trying to do to live how long? Forever. When, guys, it's been right here the whole time. Jesus said, I'm the one. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even if he dies, he will live. And whoever believes in me and lives will never die. It's already there. And we have that good news to share and that good news to tell. So that's what it means in one again I, I could preach this verse in, in about 50 different ways but just in one way to think about it that's what it means to live as Christ and then also to die as well which brings me to my second point is that to in Christ to be absent from our mortal bodies is to be present with who? Look at what Paul says again. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, which is which I shall choose, I cannot tell. You know, he's torn, he's hard-pressed. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain here in the flesh, in the body, is, is more necessary on your account. There's a lot of different... Um, there's some theological discussions out there about what happens to us when we die. Um, I don't know. I've never done it before. It, it is a mystery, right? Death is—it's is a mystery. We. It is one of those weird things that, that maybe it makes you feel a little bit uneasy. And I, I'm not—I'm not. There's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't mean you don't have faith. If you're just like, "Man, I just don't know about this death thing, like I'm not ready for it yet. I understand. I know exactly what you're talking about. I've, I've, I contemplate my mortality a lot. And there are some churches and, and, and theological camps out there that, that teach things like soul sleep. Do you, ever, you ever heard of soul sleep? it's a it's a it's a teaching it's a theological teaching that says you know that when when we die it's it's like we just go to sleep and we're unconscious we're not aware of anything going on and then when jesus comes back and and he he gives us our new bodies and we, we wake up and it's like we've never we've only been out just you know a split set. you know how it is like you you go to sleep tonight you 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 went to sleep last night you laid down if you had a good night's sleep You know, you may have slept eight hours, but in your mind it was what? Just like a second. And and that's what people, and I do not believe in soul sleep, and I'm about to tell you why. But there are people who think that the Bible teaches that because it uses the euphemism of sleep and, you know, sleep with your fathers and those who sleep in the dust of the earth will will be awakened into eternal life. And it's just because the Bible uses the term sleep as a euphemism For death, right? And we we have to understand it talks in those terms. That doesn't mean that we are literally going to be asleep for all those years until Jesus comes back. And let me tell you why. One of the reasons I believe that is because of this, this passage right here. Paul says that if I am to die, it's my desire that I depart and so I can be with who? Is Jesus asleep? Last time I checked, he's very much alive. So if Paul is equating his death with being with Jesus in some type of a conscious relationship, he's not asleep. We're not just going to be going to sleep. We're not just going to be knocked out waiting for the resurrection. No, guys, we're talking about conscious existence to be absent from the body when our spirit departs from the physical mortality of our body. We immediate, for those of us who are in Christ, we immediately go to be in the presence of who? Of the Lord who is alive. He is seated at the right hand of the Father right now reigning and ruling from the heavenly Jerusalem. And Paul makes it clear that when we died, it's far better because we go to be with Christ and to be absent from our body, these mortal bodies, is to be very much present with the Lord. Now, if you if you want to flip with me real quick to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I want to just kind of show you a parallel passage real quick. Paul's talking about this in to the church at Corinth. Look at, look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Paul says, 2 Corinthians 5 1, for we know that if the, the tent, this tabernacle that is, as our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. And then, of course, he goes on to talk about how we walk by faith and not by sight. He said, let me go ahead and read verse 6. For we are always of good courage. For we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. So Paul is playing on this idea about, you know, these bodies, these are, in a sense, yes, they are temporary tents, they're temporary dwellings for our, to house our spirits because we are this complex, dual-natured image of God-bearing, you know, creatures, and, and we have this physical nature, we have the spiritual nature, but Paul is saying, you know what, even though right now in the curse and the corruption of our bodies and the the degeneration of of what, what these bodies that we're in that grown we groan and we're burdened and we get sick and we suffer and we experience pain and eventually we, we die. But that doesn't mean that we're not going to be in some sense, in some type of a, a bodily form in the heavenly places because Paul in 1 Corinthians says that there's also something called a spiritual body. If you want to go chase that one down, go look up 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and the whole chapter about resurrection. Paul says there's the such thing as a what? A spiritual body. What is that? I don't know. But apparently, again, when these bodies die and our spirit goes to be with the Lord, we have another body. We're in some type of a form, but it's not our permanent body. It's still temporary. So right now, Adam, Abraham, Moses, David, Elijah, all the great heroes of old, all the apostles, they're still in a temporary form in the presence of the Lord, awaiting the day when they receive their new what? Their new bodies. That's what Paul is saying right here. He says that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. When will these mortal bodies be swallowed up and transformed into glorified, immortal bodies? At the what? At the resurrection of the dead. At the second coming of Christ. That's what Paul's talking about. And so we understand that there is, we're awaiting this day for Jesus to transform these mortal bodies so that we are reunified in the glory of God's light and in his life And so, again, this goes back to this idea that Jesus came to redeem all of creation, both physical and spiritual. That's why he is king of kings, Lord of lords. That's why there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Nobody else can do what Jesus did. And here's the reason why. It's because nobody else in the history of the world has ever been resurrected from the grave like Jesus Christ. You find me somebody else that beat death, I'll listen to that guy. But you know what? There's nobody else. That's the number one reason when somebody asks me, why do you follow Jesus? Why are you a Christian? I will quickly say, you find Jesus is the only person who ever conquered the grave. Jesus is the only one who ever beat death. You want to beat death? You want to overcome the grave? Do you want to live forever? You better listen to Jesus. You better learn to turn to Jesus. You better put your trust in Jesus because he's the only one that can give it to you. He's the only one that has the power and the ability and the authority to give us what we all most desperately desire, which is eternal life. Hey, guys, that is the greatest argument. That's the greatest defense for the gospel and the, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's talking about right here. He understands all of this. And so the last thing that we were going to see in this passage is Paul is like, okay, I'm torn. If I die, it's okay. It's actually what? Better. To die is gain. We could unpack that again for months. But all I want to look at now is, but to live. This is where you and I need to really, what do we take away from this? To live is what? Is Christ. What does that mean? It means this, and my last point. As long as you have breath and life, you will find no greater joy than to serve and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Bless you. As long as you have breath and life, you will find no greater joy than serving and glorifying Jesus Christ. So Paul is like, if if this is the end, I don't want to be ashamed. I don't want to be, I don't want to, here it is guys, I don't want to disappoint him. I don't want to let him One day you and I, we're going to stand in front of Jesus. And there's not going to be anybody else around to point to. There's not going to be anybody else there to defend you. There's not going to be any of this, but if, uh, Lord, I, you, Mm mm-mm. We're going to look pierced straight through our soul. We're going to look into the eyes of our maker. And we're going to have to give an account. At that moment, we're going to have to explain to Jesus why we lived the way that we lived. Why we did the things that we did why we took the life that he gave us. Remember? He's the source of life. He created us. We, we are created for him. And we, every single one of us will have to stand before the judgment of Christ and give an account of our lives to him and try to explain to him why we live the way that we lived our life. I wish that I could live my life Conscious of that reality every single day. Because you will to be honest with you, I forget. I forget. And now there's going to be some regret. You don't think believers are going to have to stand and give an account before the Lord? We're going to have to give an account. Amen. There's going to be some tears. Why do you think the Lord's going to have to wipe some tears away from our eyes? I think it has a lot to do with the fact that we're probably going to, going to be filled with some some sorrow. And let me ask you, and this is the thing I do not want any of us to have to wonder when that day comes, when we stand before the Lord. Let's not have to say this. Could I have done more? Could I have loved a little more? More? Could I have served a little more faithfully? Could I have managed my time a little better? Could I have invested in the things that really matter? Could I have used the gifts that God gave me for His? glory instead of mine? Could I have not wasted so much, so much time? If there's a way we can figure out how to live our life today with that in mind, with that that coming face-to-face with Jesus in mind, I do think it would, it would probably change the way that we live our lives because then we would find joy in serving God and glorifying God and making the best use of our life, living truly living for him instead of wasting so much time and wasting so much energy and wasting so much money And wasting so much of our talent on things that just don't what? Just don't matter. That's what Paul's talking about. Let me read it one more time before we close. Listen to what he says. He says convinced I know that I will remain and continue with you for the progress and joy in the faith so that may you, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. I think Paul got it. Wasn't perfect but I think he, I think he, I think he got it pretty good. I think he understood what he was there for. And I pray and I hope that all of us today will begin to live our lives in a way that would be different than the way we've been living our lives up until this point. So that we don't have as many regrets when we have to give an account to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is what we all strive to hear. You've heard it before and I'll say it again, we strive to live in such a way that we hear the words what, good job, well done, you did good, I'm proud of you, good job, you were faithful, not perfect, you weren't perfect, I know that, but you were what, you were faithful. as we go live life to the fullest live in Christ live with Christ live for Christ live through Christ all of those ways that we experience him and we know that the best is yet to there's a popular book that came out as I close I'm not going to name the author But the title of the book is a best-selling book in Christian genre. Your best life now. Now let's think about that for just a second. This is harsh. I heard somebody else say this. I didn't come up with this, but there's, there's truth. If this is our best life now, then all that we get to look forward to is hell. Is that not true? This is not our best life. Amen. We're looking for, looking forward to something what? far better. Amen. Our best life is yet to come. And that's the way that we want to live our lives now. In light of what is to come. Amen. I'm going to ask our praise team to come up. We're going to pray. We're going to sing one more song. Guys, we always want to make sure that there's ample time for you to do business with the Lord, allow God to minister to your heart. Maybe you need prayer. Maybe you need someone to counsel you. I see Mr. Jim Cole right here, one of our elders. Um, we have elders usually throughout the room. I see Dr. Ron Seatron in the back, one of our missionaries and fellow brothers. There's, there's so many people in this room that, that would be more than willing to talk with you, counsel with you, pray with you. I, I'm going to be singing up here, so... My hands are tied, but I always will stay after service. And if, you were on the, if you're somebody that wants to come up and talk later, I want to be here to make myself available for you. Um, because that's, that's part of what we're doing here is giving ourselves this opportunity to, to really, you know, search our hearts and let God move and, and make sure that we're, you know, confessing our sin. If that's, if that's something that we need to do, all of those things matter. And so I want you to make sure that you allow, just allow God to to speak to you and minister to you and however uh, he is trying to do that right now. And uh, we're going to sing one more song as we close out, okay? So use this time to worship and to spend time with the Lord in prayer. Uh, Let's all bow before the Lord. Father, we love you.